Good afternoon. I want to thank you for braving the, the weather a little bit to get out here and to join us for our Good Friday uh, uh, Passion Week service, and I'm thrilled to have you here today. Um, I do want to make a couple of announcements while I have this opportunity. I want to remind our, our, our friends who are interested in this and who need to bring their, their little ones to this that uh, because of uh, weather, uh, our Easter egg hunt that we have scheduled for tomorrow has been moved here to the church. We'll use uh, various places in the church classrooms and what, what have you. And just so, just to pass the word along, the kids are encouraged to bring a flashlight. I don't know what Pastor Kerry has in mind. It sounds like fun, though. Uh, there will be a lot of, and she might even have a few surprises since we're having to adapt and overcome here. So um, that, that uh, has been, that change has been made. Please take note of that. Our sunrise service is at 6 a.m. in our green space uh, on Easter Sunday morning. You're welcome to come and join us if you're an early bird, or even if you're not, then you'll be blessed if you roll out and, and worship the Lord and enjoy the sunrise. Uh, that'll be Easter Sunday morning, and then of course we have our, our regularly scheduled services at 8.45 and 10.55. If you uh, need a place to come and worship on Easter Sunday, I invite you to come and do that. One last announcement is that the church office will be closed on Monday, and that's gonna be kind of our, our Good Friday holiday since we are, we are here and, and active and kicking today. Uh, we're gonna let uh, church staff have the, the day off on Monday. So. Right now, I want to open with prayer, and then we're going to sing hymn number 301 together. So join me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, in this holy moment, we, we pause, and we remember that at the sixth hour was when you were crucified. And you did it for us because you loved us. You did it because there was nothing that you would not do to bridge that gap between heaven and earth and to open the way for us to have eternal life. So we're humbled as we pause even now. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be among us as we are gathered together out of love for you. And that as we worship together and as your word is proclaimed, it might feed our spirits. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. And now let's stand together as we sing number 301, Jesus Keep Me Near the Cross.
please be seated. It's my honor to introduce to you today our special uh, soloist. His name is Les Anderson. I just met him today, but I already found out that he was music teacher for 32 years at Strickland Elementary School, so many of your uh, family members might already know, and you probably known him a lot longer than me, which has been about 15 minutes now or so. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking, I've heard him warm up, y'all, and I know that we're in for a, a special treat, so lift your prayers up for him as he comes to share for us.
Reverend Dick Kane is pastor at Rainbow City. Ooh, hello. Rainbow City Presbyterian Church, and I've been looking forward to hearing him. Although I have to be honest with you, Pastor Dick, I would hate to have to follow that. That beautiful song. Thank you, Les. But I do look forward to hearing what you have to say for us. Well, good morning to you all. I'm so delighted to be with you. I know Les. He is a uh, fellow Presbyterian pastor like me, but his way that he identifies himself is like me as well. I'm a Christ follower, and I hope that's how you identify yourself. Uh, we have our denominational affiliations, and uh, I am so glad to be here with you all because two of my mentors came to faith in Jesus Christ in this church. Randy Pope and a man named John Musselman, they were hearing an old preacher by the name of John Haggai preaching here back around 1968, 70 as high school boys. They came to faith and to the assurance of their standing in Jesus right here in this church. And uh, they have mentored me. So I'm grateful for the ministry of this church. And uh, I want to invite you to, uh, if you have a Bible, if you would grab the uh, church Bible there in the pew. It's page 114 in your New Testament. Page 114 in the New Testament portion. It's John 20. John 20. I mean, John 19, 28 to 30. As you, as you grab your Bible and turn there, uh, I want to just uh, pray for us and then just share a couple of comments on the sixth statement of Jesus from the cross. It is finished. Let's pray together. Father, in the midst of all the changing words and images of our generation, would you be pleased now to speak to us your eternal unchanging, profitable, living word and give us grace to respond as we ought. We need faith to understand. Lord, we need eyes to behold the wondrous things in your word. But most of all, Lord, give us hearts that are ready and willing to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Hear the word of God. This is the word on the crucifixion. Of our Lord. John 19, 28 to 30. And after this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, In order to fulfill the scripture, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of wine on the branch of hyssop and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. In the original, one word, tetelestai, it is done, it is accomplished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is God's word. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Saving Private Ryan. The first 15 minutes of that movie, if you've ever uh, been reticent to give your 
loyalty and allegiance to the men and women of our armed forces. That will create a renewed sense of gratitude in your heart as you watch what it was like for soldiers to storm the beaches of Normandy. Well, once you watch the first 15 minutes, if you can stomach it, you will want to celebrate every Memorial Day, every Veterans Day, because of what these men and women endured for us. Saving Private Ryan, the movie starts in American Cemetery there in Normandy. There's an old man uh, with his wife standing at a grave. His name is Private James Ryan. Then you flash back. You flash back to these vivid scenes of war, and there's a man named Captain Miller. We know him as Tom Hanks. And they're storming the beaches of Normandy, and in the midst of storming those beaches, the older three brothers of Private James Ryan die in that battle. George Marshall, the chief of staff, issues a command. There's, there's a fourth brother. And so the command comes to, to Captain Miller, save Private Ryan. So he assembles eight men to go find this man. And it's like trying to find a needle in a haystack of needles, trying to find this, this young man and bring him safely home. So uh, the troops, they're mad and upset about this, this task they've been given. There are all kind of battles along the way. There's this heroic struggle. They're outmanned, uh, but they outsmart their enemy until they're absolutely overwhelmed. And each member of this company of eight ends up losing their life. Captain Miller eventually finds Private Ryan and... Captain Miller, Tom Hanks, is shot on this last bridge they're trying to defend. And here are his dying words to Private Ryan. Two words that brought this man bondage all the days of his life. Earn this. Earn this. And so you fast forward in the movie. And there's Private Ryan, an old man with his wife and his adult children, back at the grave of Captain Miller, the one who died to rescue him. And listen to what Private Ryan says. A heavy-hearted old man. Tell me, sweetie, that I've been a good man, that I was worth all of this bloodshed that my life was worth saving. His insecurity, his wife's love and compassion, the whole audience in the movie theaters crying. Why? Because we understand what it means for others to give their lives to rescue us. These eight men laid down their lives to rescue Private Ryan, and he feels an incredible debt of gratitude that can never be repaid. Come now to the dying words of another man. One word, tetelestai. It is finished. The work of your salvation is completely accomplished. There's nothing to add, nothing to subtract. It's called grace. 
And if you ask me to define our faith that we share together with one word, it is grace. It is the unmerited favor of an unobligated giver. Well, there's a lot of uh, confusion about what this prayer actually and these words of Jesus mean, but I want to just sort of focus on just a couple of implications. In fact, three implications of this sixth word of Jesus on the cross. It is finished. Now, first of all, I want you to know something today, that there is nothing left for you to pay for your rescue, for your salvation. If this word means paid in full, I don't know if you've ever had anyone cancel a debt. I once owed my father-in-law quite a bit of money that he loaned me to help pay for something. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, I mean, I don't know what came over my father-in-law. You know, normally you make your sons-in-law pay. And he said, it's forgiven. It's canceled. Tetelestai. It is accomplished. The debt is paid. We say Paid in full. You have your mortgage paid in full. Man, that is a glorious day. You get up on tiptoes and you become a Pentecostal. Get your hands up. Praising the Lord is paid in full. There's nothing left for you and I to pay. But, oh, friends, all of our lives at times we spend making ourselves pay for things that we regret about our past. And then to top it off, the people that we love the most, we have all kind of ways we make other people pay for the ways they fail us and disappoint us. Jesus paid it all. And at times when I'm thinking I'm going to make my wife pay for something, a shortcoming of hers, the Holy Spirit comes. He said, I paid it all for you. Quit making her pay. Where are you making yourself pay? Where are you making other people pay? Come in here again and wonder. Jesus paid it all. It is finished. There's nothing left for us to pay. Second of all, there's nothing left for you to contribute to your salvation. And there's something in all of our hearts that is allergic to this. Uh, John Stott, in his book, The Cross of Christ, says, We resent the idea that we cannot earn or even contribute to our own salvation. So we stumble over the stumbling block of the cross of Jesus. So right here at this moment in redemptive history, a full and perfect satisfaction has been made to the justice of God. Jesus paid it all. He exhausted the cup of God's undiluted justice so today you can lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of Jesus. The fountain of grace that cleanses us from sin has been opened up. A fountain of peace and eternal joy has been laid right here and right now that shall never, ever fail you. So there's nothing for you to contribute. And in a moment, I'm going to close with a word from Charles Haddon Spurgeon because it's interesting, these two boys I talked about when I started, two of my mentors now in their late 60s, struggled with knowing where they stood with Christ, whether they were truly secure. This statement has a lot to say to us, and I'll close with that momentarily. But there's a third implication. Friends, there's nothing, there's nothing for you to fear. There's nothing more to fear. 
You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to prove. You have nothing to lose. You have Jesus. If you've acknowledged that you're a sinner, I'm a great sinner. <laughs> but Jesus Christ is a great Savior of sinners like me. Those are words of John Newton, the man who wrote Amazing Grace. Right here at this point of the story, the power of Satan, the power of sin, and the power and the fear of death are being abolished. The death of death and the death of Jesus Christ. So friends, no, we no longer have to fear that. Listen to Hebrews 2. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, by his death, right here and right now, he is destroying him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, to free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Sam can attest, us pastors, we walk with people in the times of great joy, in the times of great sadness and despair and heartache. We walk at times through the valley of the shadow lands. Friends, those who grab hold of this statement right here of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. There's a calmness. When they come to face the king of terrors, the fear has been removed because it is the gateway into everlasting life. We are the people living in the land of the dying, going to the land of the living. And I like what Pastor D.L. Moody said one day, Congregants of the great Moody Church in downtown Chicago, Illinois, you're going to hear that your pastor is dead. Don't you believe it for a minute. I'll be more alive then than I've ever been in my life. Friends, there's nothing left for us to fear. Jesus paid it all. He paid it all. And so I want to just read this something to you because... If you're like me at times, I remember my 12-year-old uh, little girl came into her room one night. She's got crocodile tears coming down her face. She said, Daddy, I don't feel like I'm a Christian. I struggle with the same sins over and over again. I prayed the sinner's prayer, but I'm not sure that it took. I'm not sure I'm, I'm the Lord's. And I said, sweetie, that you're concerned about this, that you're concerned about this, is sure evidence that you belong to Jesus. Listen to what Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he's commenting on this statement, it is finished. If you meet some professing Christians who are in doubts and in fears about their own salvation and standing with Jesus Christ, tell them it is finished. It is finished. Why? We have hundreds and thousands that are really converted. They have faith in Jesus who do not know that it is finished. They don't know that they are saved. They don't know that it is finished. They think they have to have faith today and perhaps that tomorrow they might be unbelieving. They do not know that it is finished. They hope God will accept them if they do some things forgetting that the way of acceptance with God is finished. God as much accepts a sinner who has believed in five, five minutes ago. If there's a, there's a person in a Good Friday service right now believing on Jesus Christ for salvation, 
He is just as much saved and rescued as some of you. You've been here all your life. You've never known not knowing, loving, and treasuring Jesus. You've been walking with him for 80 years. He accepts us not because of anything we do or feel. He accepts us simply and only for what he did. And what he did is finished. Praise be to his name. I hope that this little discourse will awaken in you and rekindle in your heart a sense of gratitude and wonder that you have such a Savior and he has finished the work. He always finishes what he starts. Let me pray. God, our Heavenly Father, would you be pleased to bring fruit from your word that is proclaimed here. And, oh, Lord, I pray that you would so pour your love into our hearts that not only now but throughout all eternity we would gladly with full hearts of joy and gratitude sing our great Redeemer's praise. You're the high King of heaven and you have won the victory. And we make our prayer now in your blessed and majestic name, King Jesus. Amen. I want to invite you to stand, and, and, and Sam, you want to go ahead and come up. Would you receive the Lord's benediction? Let's stand together, stretch out your arms, and receive the Lord's blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his smiling countenance upon you and give you his shalom to flourish in his courts forever. Amen.